Well, we're continuing our series here on Elijah and Elisha. And last week we left off on Mount Carmel, where, where Elijah had built up the altar. The fire of God fell upon that. You know, fire from heaven fell on the altar. And, the, and when the people witnessed that fire, they said, the Lord, he is God. And there was a measure of restoration for the nation, at least of God in their eyes. So they recognized him as Lord. They had a renewed fear of God or respect for his altar and his presence. And, you know, that's what we're looking for in our day, in, in a sense. You know, for the fire of God to come and for there to be a renewed spec, respect and reverence for his ways. We need that in the church and the world. But then Elijah... He had to continue in that restoration process. They needed rain, so he prayed right, those seven times, not giving up, you know, until he saw that little cloud in the sky the size of a man's hand. And when he saw that, or when his servant saw that, he, he just heard that, that phrase, Oh, I saw a cloud. It's come. The answer has come. The miracle. The abundance of rain. But now I want to look at another uh, period in this story and in, in, in Elijah's life that we could say was probably the most difficult that he went through. All right, because after all that he had done, after all how, you know, during that three and a half years, God had used him, God had spoken to him, God had empowered him, and, and how he led the people to Mount Carmel, and, you know, all that God had, had done in that time. The priests of Baal were sh- shown to be powerless. You know, the power of God was clearly shown. The people openly declared who was the true and living God. Yet, I think that perhaps, now, I I, I want to be careful here. This isn't in scripture, so I'm not declaring anything. But I want, you have to wonder, did Elijah have an expectation that there would be a big change that would come? All of, all of Israel was gathered on that mountain. They saw the power of God. They saw and acknowledged the Lord. He is God. You know, perhaps there was an expectation for a significant change in the nation of Israel. These, the Lord would get rid of these wicked rulers, Ahab and Jezebel, that, that maybe the people would overthrow them and not accept such wickedness, right? That it would turn back to God as a nation but as we read, that didn't happen. In fact, the opposite happened. They went on. You know, there had been a measure of restoration in many hearts, but Ahab and Jezebel still reigned. And, you know, perhaps we've experienced this in a measure in our lives, right? We've followed God. We've been faithful. And like, oh, man, I got the victory to be faithful, and now I'm going to see the fruit of it. Oh, I thought such and such would happen by now. Or I thought this was, was going to take place. I thought God was going to fulfill his promise to me by now. Or I'd have a breakthrough in this area. And I haven't seen it. And sometimes we can have those expectations in our hearts. And when we have expectations that don't always line up to what God has, disappointment is the result, right? Instead of good fruit, we can have the bad fruit of disappointment, discouragement, disillusionment, all the disses. Of course, another fruit that came up that he wasn't too happy about was 
Jezebel because she heard about it. And it was, it was almost like, you know, instead of getting the victory, it's kind of like he poked a stick into a hornet's nest. And now, and now he's seeing the hornets coming at him. And he's like, oh, no. First Kings 19, verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elisha had done, how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not your life like the life of one of them by tomorrow at this time. So things had gotten much worse. You know, it it hadn't been easy for him before, but God had preserved him. He had been hidden. Now he wasn't hidden. He was exposed. He He was exposed with a target on its back, on his back, and Jezebel was going after him, so he fled. In verse 3, it says, When he saw that, he arose, and he went for his life, and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there. But he himself, he went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under, under a juniper tree. And he, he requested for himself that he might die. He said, It's enough. Lord, I've done everything I can. Take my life. I'm no better than my father's. I'm not going to accomplish anything more than my father's did. I think now's a good time to, for, for an exit, a quick exit. And so, you know, he had, he had been up in Samaria, Mount Carmel, kind of in the middle of the country. And so when he hears that, he goes all the way down south to Beersheba. And, you know, in the scriptures, it talks about from Dan and then in the very north of the country down to Beersheba in the south of the country in southern Judah. He went to the southern tip, and he didn't stop there. He, just, he said to his servant, you stay here in Judah. I'm, I'm going to keep on going. And so he goes a day's journey into the wilderness, right, out of the territory of Judah, hopefully out of the grasp and the, the reach of Jezebel. And he's despondent, and he's discouraged. And he sits under that juniper tree, and he requests the Lord to take his life. It reminds us a bit of the prophet Jonah, doesn't it? Right? Jonah sat under that gourd, and he said, well, God really, he wasn't moving in the way that he wanted God to move, that he had expected God, or, well, he expected God to have mercy, and he was a little upset at that. Right? His expectations weren't lining up to God's. And he said, Lord, I don't want to live anymore. If this is how it's going to be, take my life. I can't go on like this. And, you know, discouragement is a powerful enemy. When you're discouraged, you can't see past your, your own viewpoint, your, your own disappointment, your own circumstances, and it just makes you want to give up. And if it can happen to someone who was as anointed and powerful as Elijah, then it can happen to any of us. And it's something we have to watch out for and be careful of. But we're going to see how the Lord caused Elijah to overcome his discouragement. And so we want to pay attention to that too. But, you know, another problem that Elijah had was that made it worse was that he felt very alone. He was just on his own doing the will of God. And, you know, that's hard. When when you're with others who are like-minded, you can still feel discouraged, but then you look at other people and they're going, it's like, okay, they're going, I can go too. I'm, I'll keep at it. You know, 
we we encourage each other when our fire grows dim we borrow some from another and you know it it's encouraging we can encourage one another to continue but when you're in a deep trial and you're you feel like you're on your own boy no one can really understand what it's like in that lonely place and we see how Elijah expresses this to God later on in in verse 10 as he meets him on the mountain he says Lord, I've been jealous. I've been zealous. I've been faithful. I've been doing your will with all of my heart of your, you know, to, to uphold your name. And the children of Israel, they've forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've slain your prophets. And I, only I, am left. And now they want to come take my life. That's kind of like his justification. Lord, you take it. Instead of Jezebel taking it, you take it. Take me up to heaven. I wonder if he realized that he was going to be taken up. I don't know. But he, he thought, now, Lord, now's a good time. <laughs> but he felt like he was the only one left doing it. And so what was the point? And, you know, that's one of the most difficult things to do, to, to just continue on. When you're alone, you know, even if you just have the support of others from afar, it can make the difference. But he felt like he was the only one, the last one being faithful in all of Israel. And so the Lord saw his condition and he sent an angel. And this angel touched him and provided him food and drink. And there's kind of the thought that he he received in the in the natural, the food and drink and the spiritual. You know, when an angel touches you. You know, there can be spiritual strength that's imparted. And, but we can see the extent of his discouragement is even that wasn't enough, right? To be received that touch from an angel to receive the food and the drink. He did that. And then he just curled up to sleep again and went to, went back to sleep. You know, have you ever been so discouraged? It's like, man, I'm just, okay, I'm going to bed. I'm, I'm just going to, at least there's a little bit of peace in sleep because my, Mine doesn't work the same way anyway. I won't be going round and round sometimes. And so Elijah, I'm going back to sleep. It was only after the second time that the angel touched him and gave him the food and the drink that did he continue on his journey. In one sense, this can be encouraging to us. It's like James said in in James 5.17, He said, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. That that phrase, like passions, it basically means he was vulnerable. He was vulnerable to the same things we are. And sometimes you read about these great men and women of faith, and, and when you compare them, well, they were in Scripture. I mean, they're like superheroes. It's superpowers, and we can't compare to them. Right to the, our forefathers, to you know the prophets and so forth, but you know James is saying, but he was just like we are. He had he was vulnerable to the same desires and temptations. Even after all of his experiences with God, being mightily used, preserved through the drought. When the angel came and touched him the first time, he just went back to sleep. And so you could say, in a sense. Elijah came to the end of himself, the end of his own strength. Lord, I can't go on. And, you know, sometimes the Lord designs situations 
to bring us to the low point. Now, he doesn't want to discourage us. This discouragement is what we open ourselves to. But he wants to bring us to the end of our own strength, our own abilities, sometimes our own expectations. Sometimes God has to let the situation play out so that we can realize I had the wrong expectations in this. Okay, Lord, what should I be expecting? What should I set my hope in in this course we should set our hope in him but okay lord what do you want to do in this situation and so elijah came to the end of his own strength his own ability even what he had known in god up to that point was not enough and so god brought him to a place where he needed something new he needed a divine work in his life so he touches or the angel touches elijah the second time he's empowered but not in the sense that he would have liked, I think. Because he was not empowered to overcome. He wasn't empowered to go face his enemies and, and overcome, right? To go and destroy those who were, who were seeking his life. No, he was empowered to continue. He was empowered to keep going. Even when that discouraged heart, that heavy heart said, give up. No, God touched him and allowed him to continue. And sometimes this is not the empowerment from God that we're looking for. Lord, give me the power to absolutely destroy this bondage, this destroy this enemy in this situation. Lord, I want to get, get this trial over with. Get, me, get the victory in our eyes is, Lord, end it. But the Lord comes and touches us and says, oh, I'm going to empower you. I'm going to empower you to keep walking one foot after the other, after the other. Then I'm going to meet with you. I'll meet with you as you continue and you get to my holy mountain. Then I'll meet with you. You know, when you look at Elijah, I mentioned that there were kind of three levels of provision that we can see in, in his life. The first being when he was bef- beside the brook and the ravens fed him, right? he got two, two square meals a day. Well, I don't know how square they were. I mean, whatever the ravens could carry, he, he got to eat. You know? But the next was kind of unending. Right? He got the meal and the oil with the widow, and so he got to, uh, maybe he got to eat as much as he wanted. You could ask for an extra helping because it was endless. But now, this is the third level. right? And so, in the sense we're looking at like, this is the greatest level of provision that God gives him, but it was just a few meals, all right? In, in one sense, it's almost insignificant in our eyes. Okay, he, he ate two meals, but that enablement, that provision empowered him to continue for a very long time. And so, you know, as Elijah represents the prophet of the last days, preparing the way of the Lord and the, the coming of the Lord, this is the anointing he wants to pour, God wants to pour upon his people. Maybe it's not the most exciting anointing, right? Sometimes we want those exciting, powerful, powerhouse anointings because they're, they're fun. They're exciting. You know, it's not the most exciting anointing to just receive a meal or two in that sense from the Lord. But, you know, when it empowers us to continue, 
for 40 days and 40 nights, so to speak, in our journey with God. That's the most valuable. You know, this is kind of where the mystery of, of the gospel comes into play. God moves in ways that we don't expect or even understand or sometimes even desire. Ephesians 1.19, Paul says, Making known unto us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. Elijah wanted an end to his difficulties, his discouragement, and God meets with, with him and empowers him, but not to receive the victory over what's opposing him, but to continue in the purpose of God to his holy mountain. And so that's really the most important thing, the ability to continue in his purposes. We're going to look at, at different ways that God moves in a moment, right? Because he moves in power. He moves in the anointing and so forth. But what good is that if we can't continue and keep going? You know, I was talking with uh, Sarah about Pastor Bailey, you know, the other day and just thinking about the end of his life, right? We we know from uh, seeing him or hearing stories of him that, that at the end of his life, he went through a severe illness and, you know, sickness, and he had very little strength, but he always had strength to come and minister in the pulpit. And so you'd come, you know, that Sunday, you know, it started off walking slow, and then it was in a wheelchair being pushed, and, you know, he would just describe how weak he was, but then when he started speaking, it's like an anointing came on him, and he could just minister and share. You know, of course, then after the service, he was so tired, he didn't go back to his apartment. And it continued for a long time. And Sarah was asking the Lord one day, Lord, why is he having to go through this? Why is he experiencing this? And the Lord spoke to her and said, I'm kind of paraphrasing it, but basically said that, God was allowing him to be a picture of strength. And that when we go through times where we feel we cannot go on, we can remember him. He went on when he was weak and tired and didn't, you know, didn't want to go on. The victory he wanted was healing, but God had his purposes and he submitted to it. And he had an anointing to continue through that. And, you know, what we're we're going to go through many things in the last days. Obviously, it applies to tribulation. We're, we're going to be crying out for that anointing. Lord, help us to continue just to hold on and to make it. Lord, shorten the days so we can make it. But, you know, in our life, we want to pray that, Lord, anoint me to continue until your purposes are fulfilled, till, till your will is fulfilled in my life in this way. The things that you want to do enable me to continue and to and to hold on and to Stay in the course. You know, sometimes we can go through that difficulty, that, or sometimes it's just like a lack of activity, or maybe even a lack of sensing God's presence or his word. Like, kind of like Job in that trial in Job 23 and verse 8. He says, I'm looking, I'm looking before me, and you're not there. I look behind me, I can't find him. And he didn't realize all along that God was with him walking in that trial, but God didn't reveal himself until that moment. And so God wants to anoint us with strength and empowerment so that we can walk in that until he meets with us.
So Elijah walked for 40 days and 40 nights through the heat of the desert. It's a long way. I mean, when you look at it on a map from even from Beersheba, so he was like a day's journey from Beersheba, but then down to to Mount Horeb or, or Mount Sinai, as we as we hear of it, know of it, that's a long journey through the wilderness with nothing, no food or water. That's the same mountain that Moses met God at in the wilderness. It's interesting when you look at these, you know, Moses and Elijah, the two candlesticks, the anointed ones who stand before the Lord of the whole earth, they both met God at this mountain at a very low point in their life. Of course, Elijah was at a low point. Moses, he'd been 40 years as a shepherd. I wonder at at the end of the 40 years, if he was thinking, well, I guess I missed that one. As he was 80, <laughs> well, so much for God using me. And then he came to that mountain and he met God and he heard his voice. Of course, God had something to say to Elijah and to teach him. Verse Kings 19 and verse 11. And God said to him, go forth and stand upon the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind rent the mountains. Sometimes you think about kind of like the scientific stuff, like how strong would a wind have to be to pick up rocks and crash them, you know, to rend a mountain? Uh, Pretty strong. I don't even know if a hurricane force wind would pick up rocks, you know, and start breaking up a mountain. That must have been a pretty strong wind. But the Lord wasn't in it. And then after the wind earthquake, something else pretty mighty and powerful I've only been through one earthquake, and it was a little one. But still, that was kind of like, whoa, the earth is shaking. But God wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But he wasn't in the fire. But after all of that, the still small voice. You know, this is one of the most iconic verses in Scripture. Elijah was seeking to hear from God. But God wasn't in the strong wind. He wasn't in the powerful earthquake or that mighty fire. All of those kind of represent ways God can move and almost ways we want him to move. Lord, rend the heavens. Lord, send your fire. Burn up the chaff. Lord, shake the, our enemies and you know move them out of our way. Lord, if you don't do those things, how can we overcome? Well, God wasn't in any of those things, but he was in a still small voice. Probably Elijah wished God would do that towards Ahab and Jezebel. But God wasn't moving in that way. It wasn't what he wanted to do. In fact, when you think about that, God allowed Elijah or Ahab and Jezebel to continue. And he even had mercy on Ahab. When God proclaimed judgment, Ahab humbled himself. And repented for a time. I mean, similar to the to Jonah's story again, right? He was upset at God's mercy towards Assyria. I'm sure Ahab wasn't jumping for joy over God's mercy, or, or Elijah wasn't jumping for joy over God's mercy for Ahab. But, but you know, those powerful experiences wasn't what God wanted to do. What set Elijah free from discouragement and wanting to give up was the still, small voice of the living God. You know, sometimes in our 
difficulties in our darkest trial, the enemy loves nothing better than to stir our spirits up. Get us stirred up in inside, in our emotions, get us in turmoil, to get our minds confused with all of these thoughts, what people are saying, and people love to give advice. <laughs> people love to, to see what they think is wrong, and you know, maybe it's this. Or, I'm sure that if you do this thing, that, that's what will solve your problem. And, you know, sometimes we're open to that because we just want to find the answer, get the solution. But the enemy loves to stir us up. Because then we can't hear that little voice of the Holy Spirit, the voice of the dove speaking to us. Romans 8 and verse 6 says, to be carnally minded, it's death. You know, when our mind is stirred up, when our emotions are stirred up, and we can't hear the voice of God, there's only one outcome. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The enemy knows if he can get our minds and hearts entangled, entangled with the things from below, right? That kind of means carnally minded, to be mind the things of this world, we're stuck. But when we lift our eyes to the Lord and quiet ourselves, he can guide us back. He can reorient us to the true way the true pathway. And so the Lord was guiding Elijah back into God's purposes. God still had a plan for him. He still had uh, an individual. He wanted Elijah to train up so that he could pass his mantle over to his servant Elisha. And Elisha would go on preserving Israel through that time of wickedness. You know, the Lord had to do that because they're a type of what he's going to do again in the last days. And, of course, when Elijah heard from God, he, obtains heaven, he obtained heaven's perspective. Right? He saw from a different viewpoint from above, from where God reigns. And he found out he really wasn't alone. God was with him, of course. But there were 7,000 other faithful ones in Israel who hadn't bowed the knee. And one of those was Elisha, who would take up his mantle. And not only that, that would you know, receive the double portion of his mantle to sustain the faithful ones in Israel. And so how, it, how important it is in these days to learn to hear and depend upon the still small voice of God. Because his voice will always lead us back to him and his ways like a compass. He'll always reorient us as we cry out, Lord, may I hear you. That little voice as he speaks to our heart, it plants a seed that produces much fruit as we follow him into new seasons as we see with Elijah. You know, that that thought was really quickened to me as I was just kind of preparing this message and meditating on it, that anointing to continue, the anointing to to persevere. It's an anointing we so vitally need because it's going to preserve us in the days to come, to come to his holy mountain. That's our goal. And he has a plan for us to bring us there to the glory of his, our inheritance, to the glory of, of his plan being fulfilled through our lives where he's going to speak to us. He'll bring clarity to the vision. But we have to continue. We need a touch. And so we can, you know, 
Maybe Pastor Jason can come and just lead us in a chorus and we can worship the Lord and then we can come and just pray. Lord, we need a touch. Lord, you know, maybe if there's some issues in your lives, right? Each of you is in different seasons, but Lord, I need your your grace to continue. Continue in doing what you're asking me to do, of doing what's right, of what you're calling me to do. Lord, touch me so we can walk in new strength. Amen.